What is up, Reflectionites? This is your executive producer, Big Ray Hernandez, here for the Pro Wrestling Reflectionites. Again, as the uh, young guys say, uh, the PWR podcast. Listen, guys, this show was supposed to go up two weeks ago. And if you don't know, I went into surgery two weeks ago. So I wasn't able to put this show up. Uh, my apologies to the loyal listeners of the PWR podcast, but we are making our debut on the new Hami Media Group podcast channel. Yes, guys, you can find us at hamimediagroup.podbean.com or anywhere you listen to your favorite audio content. Listen, this is a great show. Again, thank you so much for all the support, guys. I really apologize for this late show, but sometimes really cool things comes to those who wait. So enjoy the greatest tag teams of all time, tag team champions. Uh, you know, you got JB and you got the professor. They're kind of a tag team. And then you bring in Tommy Wonder. He's, you know, six-man tag team or trio. So whatever. Anyway, listen, guys, enjoy the show. Thank you for being so patient and subscribe here at Hameen Media Group. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey bro, it's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. Bro. If you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Broaster's Limited Edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebroasters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebroasters.com and follow them at Coffee Broasters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Brosters, Vince Russo Brand, and Hameen Media Group. I'm in a celebratory mood. Do you know why? Because last week, you know, while they were, you know, it was inches away. It was 1,999,999. And there was this one little show that's been on for so many years, so many episodes. It jumped the curb. It jumped the shark, whatever you want to call it. It went over the threshold of 2 million. And that show was the PWR podcast here at HackerHameen at Podbean.com. You know, it's Sunday, so I have to be the last one to celebrate going over the 2 million download market. You know what? 
Pop Quiz Reflection Nights, Pop Quiz Magnificent 7, Elite 8, Naughty 9, Terrific 10. Who is the man that's going to milk this until the 3 millionth download? You guessed it. It is moi, the ever-elusive, the ever-objective Professor Chabella Velcruz. Yes, I'm going to milk it because we're the ones that got over the hump of 2 million downloads. And until 3 million, I'm going to be milking it all the time. It wasn't the locker rooms. It wasn't the horsemen. It wasn't cage dirt. No, nothing personal. It wasn't next level. It wasn't anything else. It was the PWR podcast. And just like I said last week, I'm going to say it again. If it wasn't for the Magnificent Seven, if it wasn't for Donna Destruction, if it wasn't for Phyllis Scott Wood, the SNX Express, DeMarco, John McHugan, Phil Schmicknick, everybody who knows who they are, everybody who knows that, that comes onto the PWR Facebook fan page and contributes any little way they can, I say thank you because it was y'all that got us over the hump of 2 million downloads. And I'm gonna celebrate all the time, every week, until we get to 3 million. And maybe, hopefully, if, you know, lightning strikes twice and we're the show that goes over 3 million, I'm gonna be a vain son of a bitch. So watch out. I'm already a vain son of a bitch right now after 2 million. Watch out if I get to 3 million, I'm gonna be a hard motherfucker to deal with. But anyway, let's get on to this PWR podcast. You know what? T.W., our Gorilla Monsoon, is drunk. And why is he drunk? Because he had a great birthday last week. And this week, he needs to recover. I don't know what he did. He tried to go to the Canadian border, but they wouldn't let him in. So, you know, he tried to go over the wall, but he forgot he's not Mexican. He played one on TV, but he's not a Mexican. So he must have injured his leg. He must have got cramped. You know, he's getting older and all this stuff. So he's on the men's reflection night. So hopefully he'll be back in next week. I cannot guarantee it because TW and liquor do not equal a great combination. It's a good tag team for him during the party nights, but it's not a good it's not a good uh, recipe when it's the you know the morning after then the hangovers. But Fear not, Reflectionites. I got my other cohort, my other partner in crime, the man who's at the episode of the COVID, the man who's at the PC 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right now, he's getting ready. He's at the PC right now. He's getting ready for Extreme Rules Horror Show. He's sitting down, taking notes, you know, for his cage theory shows, his film frequencies, and he's got a little bit of time to contribute to the PWR podcast. He's the essential one. The prodigal man, JB, what is going on? How is things at the PC right now? What is going on, Professor? What is going on, Reflectionites? We are back for another PWR. First of all, let me say, with with all due respect, fuck Extreme Rules. Secondly, <laughs> in regards to our brother, TW, what happened was he was trying to go to Canada. He was trying to go to the border, and he got totally drunk and somehow ended up on the wrong side and ended up in Mexico. I assume he's somewhere in Tijuana right now doing tequilas. But at any rate, uh, definitely glad to be here again to this 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 boardroom and break it down. I do want to ask one question. I know we don't really talk about a lot of current stuff, but I just need mm-hmm. to ask this. Someone I read somewhere for Extreme Rules that there's a match where in order to win the match, you got to take out the other person's eye. Is that mm-hmm. did I read that correctly? Of course. I mean, right. What now- kind of bullshit is this, bro? Come on now. You know, have you seen martial arts movies? You know, they take out, the, they, you know, you know, if Bruce Lee could take an eye out and you could believe it, why can't you believe Seth Rollins and uh, what, what, what's, 
and Rey Mysterio Jr. can actually take out each other's eyes. It can happen, man. I mean, can can we spend disbelief reflection nights? I, I know J, JB's looking at me funny right now. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just like, I'm excited to see. Where are they planning on going with that? If someone's eye comes out, they're going to wear a patch for the rest of their career? Of course. It's believability. I mean, if, if you can do it in AEW for a couple of weeks with John Moxley, why can't you do it in for a couple of weeks and then the eye somehow grows? It can happen. If the guy 20, grows? With what? Yes. Miracle grow? Stem cell research, don't you know that? We can get another eye. I, I'm just saying right now. Oh, Dr. Harvey Wolfman in here for that stem search. That stem right. cell search. There you go. But you know what? Bef you know, since we're talking a little bit current and... and Props, prop, props to you, JB, for picking this episode. I mean, this is episode 121. We're doing like we did last week. You know, we did greatest managers last week, boardroom style. We're back in the boardroom. We're drinking a little bit, even though JB can't really drink. He, I think he has a Coca-Cola in his hand, but this it's got some rum or some vodka in it or something. He's faking the funk. You know, he's faking the funk because he knows that Uncle Vinny's looking around, making sure no one's drunk. But anyway, I'm not going to tell nobody, JB. Don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. But anyway. We did the greatest managers boardroom style. I'm gonna do greatest tag teams boardroom style. And, and for some strange reason, JB, you picked a, a, a good one because we're gonna call episode 21. Dave Meltzer can suck a big one. 121. Dave Meltzer can suck a big one. That, that's what I'm gonna title this particular episode when, no, it comes here to, so far. when it comes to greatest tag teams and you know what reflection nights and magnificent seven if you don't know why i'm in a, in a little bit of a tangent right now uncle dave had the audacity jb a couple of days ago on twitter because you know he always you know responds to his fans with twitter and all that stuff and i don't i can't quote verbatim but he had the gall to say in 2020 that AEW has the deepest Don't tag say team. What gonna say. I didn't say it. He's saying it. He said AEW has the deepest and best tag team division in in the history of wrestling. And and it just boggled the mind. Even 1990 he said, says go fuck yourself. There you go. 1980s say go fuck yourself. 1970s say go fuck yourself. He is, has the audacity to tell the professor, to tell you, to tell the Reflectionites that the people like the Young Bucks, SCU, Private Party, uh, Lucha Bros, Santana Ortiz. Now, I'll give the Revival a little bit of a pass because that's the best tag team in the world today. I will give him that. But the other ones I give... Hold on. Not to cut you off. Why are they the best tag team? Who? That revival? The, it, it, would it be a fair statement to say the Revival is the team that is closest to the era we were just talking about? There you go. They honor the traditions of tag team wrestling more than the, the than the people right now in AEW right now. Young Bucks are not the, you know, for all the Mark Tards out there that say the Young Bucks are the best tag team since 2010, uh, why don't y'all ask the Briscoe brothers about that because they're more consistently with the 2010s and the professor's humble opinion than the Young Bucks. And I'll, I'll say this to anybody for the Young Bucks uh, argument, uh, the, their heavyweight tag team championship reign in Japan, guys, did not last for a long time. It lasted for a couple of months. They were the 205 Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. That's all they were good for. How many times did they main event Tokyo Dome? None. So, you know, for anybody that says the Young Bucks are the greatest tag team in the 2010s, go say it, JB, again. Go 1990s call. Go fuck yourself. There you go. Let me but just anyway. explain real quick what happened. And this this actually happened to me. 
There was a surge at one point a few years ago of New Japan. I- I'm talking about way before AEW. There was a surge of New Japan where everybody was sick of the current product. Some people still are, like myself. And then people were getting introduced to, to New Japan, like me. I got introduced mm-hmm. to New Japan maybe, I don't know, six years ago or something like that. And where everything was just shiny and beautiful. And I thought the Young Bucks were the hottest shit on the planet. Not the greatest ever. I'm not, I wasn't that freaking stupid. But mm-hmm. I thought they were the best thing going. I thought everything in New Japan was the best thing. The storylines, the matches. Yeah, give me two-hour matches. I don't care. But it's because it's it was something new and something different. And I think a lot of people fell into that. And some people got stuck with that. If you take a step outside and really look at the overall picture, Young Bucks are not even in the top probably 40 or 50 ever. And that's just my opinion. I, I can actually respect your opinion. I'll I'll give the devil of the Young Bucks their due with their creative, well, you know, with their business acumen because of BTE and all the stuff they've done, you know, and creating the AEW product itself. But they're spot monkeys. That's all it is. And in terms of, of, of trying to say how much dominance there was, and like I said, and I'll use the Briscoe Brothers as a great example. Briscoe Brothers were heavyweight t- tag team champions a little bit, you know, a couple of times longer than the Young Bucks. They were ROH tag team champions. Yes, the Young Bucks were. But the but the dominance of the Briscoe Brothers in the 2010s. But anyway, let's let's get into this because Dave Meltzer pissed me off by saying that AEW's tag team roster was deep. So you know what? This uh, episode of the PWR podcast is not only brought to you by Brosters, but the middle finger of the professor for Ed, for Dave Meltzer. But anyway, the JB, let's start off with actually one of the greatest debates. And if Dave Meltzer doesn't even understand what he's talking about, I mean, for anybody, let's even just start with the argument of the greatest tag team ever. You know, the number one and one A's. Now, you might not agree with the one and one A because there's only one tag team that overall is dominant. Change the face of tag team wrestling in the 80s with their presence. But there's another tag team that gets credit for the number of times they were tag team champions. And sometimes they're put on equal pedestals. So let's talk about this right now. The Road Warriors as one and 1A and I think is more of the, the ECW marks like myself and just hardcore marks and stuff that just, they're giving this team the devil it's due. The Dudley Boys. So we're going to say, let's for argument's sake, this is the debates that we've seen in the Indies Facebook fan pages that Dudley Boys and Road Wars are 1 and 1-8. We know that Road Wars are unequivocally, JB, the number one tag team ever. But Dudley Boys, 1-A, 25-time tag team championship reigns between ECW, WWE, that bullshit invasion angle, but WCW counts, TNA, and New Japan, that makes the you know for these two tag teams. Let let's start with the Road Warriors first. They changed the face. They changed the game with their look, their presence. They drew money in the tag team divisions. They were in mid cards, and wherever they were put, when it came to AWA, when it came to the NWA, I can't say for the WWF because they 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 filled the place. They weren't the main eventers there, but when they were on the card, everybody was excited. So. The, the game was changed with the Road Warriors. Talk about the Road Warriors, JB. I know you know them, so you don't need the professor to, to teach you about the history of the Road Warriors. No, I mean, the Road Warriors, I 100% agree with you. Greatest tag team ever. Just for what they deal with the business. I mean, here's two guys where you're not going to see too many, you know, technical moves. But these guys didn't need technical moves. They were just 
they were just bruisers. I mean, you came in there and they just kicked ass. And the thing is, they were when it came to AWA and and, and NWA, they were so well protected. You, not too many guys beat them. Forget about beating them. Not too many guys even got offense on them. So they were built really good. And I mean, they won the tag team titles across multiple platforms, multiple um, organizations, and that just goes to show what you know what. What, what they were to this business. Unfortunately, Hawk, as we know, he had a lot of issues outside mm-hmm. of the ring. And I only imagine if Hawk didn't have all those issues, how even further they could have gone. Because in my opinion, even though they had a long-ass career, I still feel their career was sort of cut short because of, of Hawk's issues. And you might disagree, but because they had a pretty long career, but I still think they had more in the tank. I mean, these guys were still great. They could still go. They still had a great look. But... You know, it is what it is. Well, Hawk had his demons, but, you know, he found Christ, and unfortunately he died of a heart attack in 2003. And you are actually right with the protection part because when they were everywhere they went in the territories, in Georgia, in Florida, when they went in, they beat up the competition. They beat up the top guys and almost instantaneously became tag team champions. When they went to AWA, instantaneously became the tag team champions. NWA took a little bit of time, but Jim Crockett and, and Dusty Rose were actually shrewd and smart. They didn't need the tag team championships. It just validated the, the dominance. They went to Japan and you know sold out the Tokyo Dome and the, the Osaka Dome, wherever it's called down there. They made their presence felt. And of course, it's the, it's the triple threat. We got to talk about Hawk, got to talk about Animal, but of course, Precious Paul Ellering. We didn't even talk about him last week in The Greatest Managers. Precious Paul Ellering, you know, he took care of them. You know, they were so green in the business, but you wouldn't even know that. He was the true handler. He was the true agent. He was the true, quote unquote, manager. He took care of their day-to-day activities. What say you about Paul Ellering in this, you know, in this triple threat here? Yeah, Paul Ellering, it's so crazy, like, like uh, the younger generation nowadays, they made his, They might have seen Paul Ellering, you know, managing uh, Authors of Pain and be like, okay, this guy's kind of okay. They don't even understand what kind of a legend this guy is. Manage the greatest tag team in the history of professional wrestling. Paul Ellering is so smart. And yeah, it wasn't just a manager on screen. He was their handler. He took care of these guys. He, he booked their, uh, you know, he booked their events. He booked their hotels. He was a true definition of a handler. And you know, they've said so many great stuff about him, and he said so many great stuff about them, and they had a really good relationship. And the one thing I think that, that came across with all of them is they could trust each other. And in this business, it's so hard to trust people, but they had the trust there. And Paul Arnold was a good guy. Yeah. And now let's talk about, you know, now this is the debate, JB. So what, do you agree that the Dudley Boys should be considered a 1A or maybe just a 2? But they should be in the top five tag team conversation but again, ECW, do you count that? Because, of, you know, it is a smaller company in the eyes of people, but it did make its presence known. And of course, you know, multiple time WWF tag team champions, they were instrumental in the TLC matches along with the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian, you know, and then went to Impact Wrestling, TNA, whatever you want to call it, multiple time tag team champions there, went to New Japan, multiple time tag team champions there. And again, like I said, 23 to 25 ranks total of all these organizations. I don't know if you could call it dominance, but there, that is a pedigree of a legacy. What say you, JB, about the W boys? Yeah, let me tell you what that number signifies. That number signifies, A, the longevity they've had just to be able to go for so long, for so many years in so many organizations. B, 
it shows the caliber of, of people they are. Let's step outside of the ring for a second. Just the type of men they are that organizations would trust them with the title. Because mm-hmm. this day and age, you can't necessarily trust everybody with the title. I mean, RVD is a good example. Every, you know, he had the title, he got caught fucking smoking weed. So mm-hmm. you have to be able to trust these guys holding the title. And, and they were able to do that m- multiple times, again, across multiple organizations. My problem is, yes, I'll give you top five. I just cannot give them one A. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's a biased thing, but trust me, they have the accolades. But it, it, for me, it's not only about the accolades. But you're always the one saying when we're talking about these tops, it's so subjective because your tops might be the in-ring style. My tops might be, you know, the, the them on the mic. Somebody else's tops mm-hmm. might be overall. So there's so many different categories to go by. Are they mm-hmm. top five? Yes. Are they one A for me? I, I no. I have to say no. No, no. I could, I could totally uh, get where where you come from. I'm just saying this is the debates going oh, all, all the time. It's like I can't put Dudley Boys as the greatest tag team. There's no way you can never, you know, overtake the Road Warriors for the impact that they have. Dave Meltzer, do you understand that Road Warriors were, you know, were the uh, Michael Jordans of a tag team division wherever they were in AWA. In the territories, WWF, they were the Michael Jordans. They were the LeBron James of the tag team division. They were the launching pad. Now, the Dudley boys, I can't call them Michael Jordans. Let's just say. Dennis Rodman's? Yeah, maybe, because you know what? You know, politics aside. They were the third party. They they were the third party. They, they, They were shit talkers. They started shit too. They were kind of bullies here, but they were always loyal to the company. You know, Dudley boys, say what you will about them. They were loyal to Paul Heyman. Yes, when they man. went to W when they went to WWF, they were loyal, you know, to Vince McMahon and what he did for them. And then when he went when they went to TNA to prove a point about how uh, important tag team wrestling was, because you know, not only did they, you know, they went they took less money to go to TNA. But they wanted to prove a point to Vince McMahon saying, you know, Vince, I know you don't value tag team wrestling. So they had to go and become the quote unquote Michael James, Michael Jordan or LeBron James of TNA tag team wrestling. Let's say about that before we move on to other tag teams. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch the current products. I can't talk too much. But one of the things that a big gripe when I was watching, you know, three years ago and I watched for years and years and years was how wrestling just kind of shied away from the tag division i mean i remember growing up in the 90s the tag and the 80s the tag division was so good i mean we're going to talk about some of these teams i could tell you a handful of like 10 teams where they were like future hall of famers if they're not already hall of famers Mm -hmm. they were just and it wasn't just like okay it wasn't like okay uh, you know, Professor's really good. JB's really good. Let's put them together. These were true tag teams, not just two single guys slapped together because they don't have shit else better for them. They were true tag teams that were together for years and years and years. And, you know, I sort of miss that in today's product. You know, that's something that's missing. That When you talk about the tradition and the old school, it starts right there. Forget about what's just inside the ring and the style. Just that aspect of it. The the organization just caring about wrestling. I I uh, talk to wrestling. I know AEW's probably trying to do something. New Japan's trying to do something. It's just not there like it used to be. Well, I'm not mad at New Japan. I'm I'm just mad at Uncle Dave's talking about AEW's tag team roster being the not only the best but the deepest. And for Uncle Dave, I mean in the 80s. You want to, the 80s were the renaissance. We were doing shows about the renaissance of tag team wrestling in the 80s. So I'm going to give you the ball, JB. Talk about any tag team, you know, 
wherever you you the floor is yours you know sometimes i don't want to hog this one up so let's talk about tag team you got one the first tag team i want to talk about is it's my favorite tag team i know a lot of people are going to disagree with me but it's my favorite tag team of all time and mm-hmm. that's de- that's demolition um, i go. think that was one of the very first times i started really no it's probably the first time ever i rooted for a heel tag team mm-hmm. and demolition were much like road warriors they were two big guys they didn't fight technically although axe you know he, he could go back in his day as, as like mass superstar and etc cetera, etc cetera. or uh, was he in the mass superstar or was he yes yeah, he was the back superstar. Right, so he could go, but they had a different style here, and they were like badasses, and they had they looked like badasses. They had the, the the theme music, and they were just great. They held the title for like four hundred plus days. They held it's a it's a record that lasted until New Day beat it a couple years ago. So, mm-hmm. and they could fucking draw. I mean, draw, and they this is one of the first instances that I can remember where. The fans were really, really over on these guys that it forced Vince McMahon to turn them into baby faces. Because Vince, I remember, you know, watching watching interviews and stuff with him. Vince was like, they were cheering for demolition because they liked him so much because they were badasses. And Vince is like, we have we have to turn them. We can't have the fans cheering for bad guys. And yeah, demolition absolutely one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And again, you're talking the eighties and nineties. Right, and, and of course the the Renaissance, the golden age of tag team wrestling, and Demolition was a part of the, the best WWF tag team champions, bar none, top five WWF tag team champions of all time. Axe, Smash, Mr. Fuji, what a great combination! The music was there that made people go crazy for for them, and. You know, for hardcore fans, if you watch both, if, if you watch the NWA product and, of course, you watch the WWF product in the 80s, you would say, oh, you're carbon copy riffoffs of the Road Wars. Yes, they were carbon copies, but their look was different because they looked like Jason from Friday the 13th with the rock, with the hockey mask. Yes. And two, while the Road Wars were the bruisers and the brawlers, Axe and Smash, or Crush the Khrushchev and Bill Eady, a.k.a. Mass Superstar, were the technical, you know, juggernauts, you could say. They wrestled better. They were more technically sound. If you talk to anybody within the business, that was the main difference. And you can ask, you know, Crush the Khrushchev, or, you know, Axe and Smash themselves. They even tell you themselves, we were the technically sound, you know, powerhouses in comparison to the Road Wars. And we never got that dream match the, the way it was supposed to be between Demolition and the Road Warriors because, of course, Vince McMahon went into the, you know, the business side and said, yeah, I got the Road Warriors. What do I need the Demolition for? So, you know, he actually, you know, took the dream match out of the fans' uh, bag and said, you know what? They're making me money. Demolition, you already did what I had to do. So, you know, good pick on the Demolition thing. So while we keep the 80s train going, I mean... Dave Meltzer, I mean, he he disappoints me. I, I, let's go. You know, we even talked about it here. I'm going to go to the NWA right now. And, you know, we didn't even talk about this team, but they fought the Road Warriors a lot. The Koloffs. You got a tag team. First of all, they weren't Russians. We all know this. Yes. Let, let, let's get the cat out of the bag. You had a Canadian and a guy from Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. So let's get that cat out of the bag. But you had over, I don't want to call him over the hill, but over the hill, Ivan Koloff, still going in his 50s, bringing up a young upstart named Nikita Koloff, his nephew. That was booked the way it was. 
And they fought. And it was believable, JB. It was believable with Russian chain matches against the Road Warriors that a man in his 50s like Ivan Cole, a former WWF World Heavyweight Champion, could still go and make it believable against the Road Warriors. I know you, you know, again, you don't watch the NWA product. I, I know this one. But at least the, the value of that, of the storyline being the, the Russian, you know, an antagonist against USA, they drew money and they packed stadiums for Russian chain matches for the Great American Bash. What say you about the Coloss? Yeah, I think the reason why that drew a lot is because if you look at Road Warriors back then, I don't give a shit who they're feuding. It's, it's clearly obvious they're going to wipe the floor with wh whoever they're feuding with. But when you add in the Koloffs now, you add in Nikita, you add in Ivan Koloff, now it's like, okay, yeah, they might beat them, but these guys are also badasses. Now you're, you're introducing the whole Russian chain thing, and it's like anything could happen. And, and I think that's what, what fans were eager to watch. Like, hey, can they actually, you know, overcome this obstacle and i think that's what what drew it and and uh yeah i mean i i, I actually really liked nikita koloff had such a good look i remember him from like you know wcw when i started watching wcw back in the day and stuff mm -hmm. yeah i mean absolutely uh you know very underrated tag team as well yeah they're very underrated i'm not saying they're one of the greatest but i'm just giving no. uncle i'm giving uncle dave examples of the the balance that the 80s had between two organizations we're gonna give his ass a lot of fucking examples and again let, let's flip the script and i'll even go into the 90s for even uncle dave you know for the for this deepest tag team roster how dare uncle dave you know when he says these things about deep tag team rosters what about a tag team in the 90s the Steiner brothers, the, the, they carried, they were the Michael Jordans of the WCW tag team roster. I'll say they were the Scotty Pippins of the WWF tag team roster because, again, Vince McMahon kind of like swayed away with the valuation of a tag team division. But they were, they were draws. They were money. They beat some of the greatest tag teams in the history. They even beat the Road Warriors, JB. What, what say you about the Steiner brothers? Rick and Scott, the Steiner brothers, technically sound. They were jacked they were jacked to the moon so they they had the total package maybe the charisma they weren't that charismatic until you know big oh. papa until big papa pump character kind of you know came into fruition but it didn't happen during the tag team days he was actually a mute yeah i felt rick steiner had some charisma scott steiner was like a fucking mute that's why when yeah. the big papa pump thing i was like where the fuck has this guy been all of his career but mm -hmm. but I, I felt rick steiner in the early part was definitely the the was the more charismatic one but um yeah, oh my god. Huge, huge. And if you're like a, you know, you were only a WB guy, you'd be like, what the fuck are these two talking about? Because they didn't have such a great career. I know they had a role with the title, the titles, mm -hmm. but their big run was in WCW. And and I mean, they they had a really good run. They beat a lot of good tag teams. And these are two guys that could go, man. Scott Steiner was I mean, he wasn't as huge as he later became, but even as a huge guy, I mean, this guy was doing Harikaranas. Let's not talk about if it looks shitty or not. He was mm -hmm. still attempting and, and, and performing Harikaranas, and uh, they were just a really good tag team, man. Really, really good tag team. Uh, uh, at one point, they might have probably been my favorite, if not my favorite tag team in WCW. Mm -hmm. And some of the teams that they beat. They beat the Road Warriors, like I said. The Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Harlem Heat. They beat the Dudley Boys. That's a who's who, JB. Yep. So that that that's that's and not only that that proves that there's a tag team division that's kind of deep, that that's kind of like I'm interested and I'm invested in seeing Uncle Dave. So when I give you these names, where the hell did 
Uncle Dave, you know, this is why I keep saying that Uncle Dave is an AEW fanboy mark that's getting paid by Uncle He's getting paid. He's getting paid by Tony Khan. The floor is yours, JB. Give a attention. Where do you want to go? You want to go to the 80s or 90s? I don't care. I I, I don't care. The okay, floor is yours. Let's stay at the 90s. You want to talk about the Young Bucks. We'll give Young Bucks their respect. But with <laughs> all due respect, Melts, the Young Boys are a poor man's version of a team I like to call the Rockers. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. And the Rockers absolutely changed, in my opinion, wrestling. I had never, ever in my life seen uh, teams, a tag team that was doing moves in unison. They were doing mm-hmm. so many moves like that. They were fast. They had a good look. They're, again, another uh, team where they're, I love their theme music. And, uh, you know, again, such a good tag team. Some might say they were underrated because they never had a shot with the titles, but I don't know if you can say that because they were like a high mid-card, uh, if you want to call it that. I know that, they, again, they never had a real run, but mm-hmm. these were two guys that could go, man, and th- their style was a style that really wasn't around back then. And oh, they All I got to say, Google this match, the Midnight Rockers versus Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Sutherland from the AWA. You'll see why Vince McMahon... Stole them from the AWA. That match solidified Vince McMahon saying, I want that tag team. That's the that's the reason right there. If yeah. you saw that, they they were you could call it if they were carbon copies of the Rock and Roll Express in the in the mid-80s, because I saw them in the AWA in 86 and 87, but then you saw the Rockers from 88 to 92 before the infamous barbershop between Shawn Michaels and, and Marty Janetti. So all that comes together. They're technically sound. They can brawl. They can do it all. They they're like the AJ Styles of tag teams. They can fight with the with a with a speed tag team, or they can you know rust, rustle it up with some bruisers. That's how good they were. Jay, and go these ahead. guys, these guys could sell, man. When I'm telling you, sell. These two could sell the shit out. I mean, I used to enjoy seeing matches with them versus guys like Powers of Pain and shit because they sold really good. And um, Another another team also where like you know I felt they could have probably given a little bit more. Uh, Marty Jannetty had his issues, and also Shawn Michaels wanted to be a singles wrestler. And obviously, we know what he later became. But um, yeah, I mean for the time, just absolute great tag team. And I mean I can't say enough good things about them. Just what they did. They were only around for a couple years in WWE, but in that short time period, they accomplished so much. Yes, they didn't win the titles, but you can't speak to anybody and ask them, hey. Talk about like the top ten teams of WWE of all time. I guarantee you, everybody who was was watching in that era would name them in the top ten easily. Absolutely, and, and you know what? Since we, you know, since I'll give Dave Meltzer some points by pointing out, you know, FTR, aka the Revival. Let's give the devil its due with because the Revival takes from this tag team all the time, and still, arguably, everybody remembers this combination: Arn Anderson. Tully Blanchard, you might know them as the brain busters in WWE, or you just might know them as two of the cogs of the infamous Four Horsemen, JB. Tag team champions in the NWA, tag team champions in the WWF. They were successful as a tag team. You had the the uh, the antagonist dynamite, you know, clicker of Tully Blanchard. He talked the talk and walked the walk. And, of course, you had the methodical Arn Anderson, the muscle of the tag team. They cut the ring in half. They, if they went after an arm, they took the arm out. If they went after a leg, they took the leg out. 
but they were so methodical. And even as slow and methodical they were, those matches were exciting. I remember matches against the Road Wars. I remember matches against the Heart Foundation. I remember matches against the Rockers that you're talking about. Yeah. They adapted to the situation, JB. Talk about Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. See, Dave, there's still more examples of this. Rig I General. Rig, I mean, Rig Generals. And I used to really enjoy, and I, I, when I go back and watch them now, I still enjoy their matches. Like you said, cutting off the ring, uh, you know, hitting your opponent, the guy, the, the, the man standing outside, hitting him, and then having him run in to, to, to defend his partner. And while the referee's caught up with him, you know, choke out the other guy or do something illegal. These are all things, little small things that are that are missing. Like you said, the revival might bring some of that stuff in every now and then, but for the most part, it's missing in today's product. But yeah, brainbusters. The major issue with the brainbusters in WB, Vince McMahon always had an issue during this time. If someone was coming in from like NWA, WCW, they never got a true, true push in my eyes. Brainbusters had a run. But they were they were nowhere close to the the, the brainbusters from from uh, you know NWA WCW. They just didn't. For me, they they weren't they weren't the same people. Yes, they could still go in the ring, but they didn't have that sort of push that they 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 should have really had the, the type of caliber of those two guys, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. In my I, opinion, I can, I can actually answer that. I mean, in, in a disagreeing way, JB. Let, let's put it this way: in sure. perspective, let, let's put it in perspective. Now, I know there was we, issues with Tully and stuff. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the the backstage. I'm just looking at what we see in the ring. The valuization, let's just say. We know that they were two of the cogs and the four horsemen. Ring generals, as you said. Four equal men. Let's just say the four horsemen was that. Four equal men with, with one sound goal, and that's to dominate the business. But when they went to WWF, they were involved with the, the top drawing heel faction. The Heenan family. So they were already pushed. He was. They were managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. They were already going to be going after the tag team championships, no matter who it was. So to me, I already think they already pushed the moon, and they beat the De- and they beat Demolition on Saturday night's main event. I, I'm just saying that just looks to me that they were pushed a little bit. They were respected more than I, I get what you're saying with the Vince McMahon thing that when some people come from NWA or whatever, they don't get that kind of push. But I think to me. They got it. What say no, you, no, Jamie? No, no. Uh, okay, if I I didn't mean that they weren't pushed. They were pushed, but I'm th- I'm saying they could have had a longer run than they actually did. I mean, on top, they. Well, when, they, when Vince McMahon forces you to to wrestle 400 days out of the year, I mean, what are you gonna do? You gotta well, get. How long? What, what were they? They were in WWE for what? Maybe two years or three years, if that. Uh, they were there from maybe let's less. Just, let's just say September of '88 to November of '89. There you go. Mm-hmm. So for such a short period of time, and I, with two guys like that, I mean, you could, you can, you can. In my opinion, at least, you can center your whole division around those two guys because they have the talent. They could both mm-hmm. talk. They could both go. You know, again, in my opinion, another very underrated tag team. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Let's go again. Dave Meltzer just brought it out of the professor. I'm shooting here, Dave, because I'm going to give you examples. I got one for you when you're ready, too. I'm going to do this tag team in in honor of my PW Hustle brother, Billy Ray Valentine. And, of course, I'm an ECW mark. I guess I got to have to call them untapped potential tag teams. They could have been one of the greatest tag teams in the 90s. And they could have had a run in the 2000s. But, again, this gentleman took the money, and of course the checks cleared for WCW, and I can't blame him 
But if you watch DCWJB, Perry Saturn and John Cronus, aka the Eliminators, they had the they had the technical prowess, they had strength, and it just meshed so well that the Eliminators were, you know, just for that little moment in time from '96 to '97. People were saying that this was the one of the best tag teams in the last couple of years. What say you about the Eliminators? Did, did you watch them? Did you follow them? Oh, absolutely. And they were total fucking badasses. They're the guys that, like, those are the guys that I feel like would be at the club in the corner. And you look at them in the wrong way. They just start beating your ass. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was Eliminators. And I remember I used to love their finisher, too. They had the, uh, you Total know, elimination. Yeah, yeah, with the low roundhouse kick and stuff. I mean, yeah, man. You talking about ECW, man. Great, great tag. I know everybody always talks about, you know, Dudley Boys and stuff, but they were a nice little nifty tag team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, like you said, the the leg sweep and, of course, the leg, you know, Young Bucks, you, you think they're like so original? They took some things from the Eliminators. They took some things from the Rockers Reflectionite. So, you know what? And, and for all, you know, and for Dino Destruction, maybe Phyllis Scott Wood, you know, there's too many tag teams for us to name. We're going to try our best, but I, I know that Don is going to remind the professor. He's going to remind the prodigal one here of tag teams we might have missed. So, JB, the floor is yours. Give oh, us I got tag some team. more in the tank. You, I know you got some more in the tank. That's why we're going to keep going. We're going to try to keep going before we you know, take that first half break and uh, get some uh, promos and some greatest matches from these tag teams. Go ahead, JB. Let's go back to the 80s, and let's talk about the British Bulldogs for a second. Two mm-hmm. guys again that could absolutely go. I think again underrated. I know they. I know people think if they won the title, they can be considered underrated. I disagree with that. They were because not a lot of people talked about them. They were very quiet in their run. I feel, and these are two guys that could go. I mean, you saw British Bulldog had an extended career. Uh, um, Dynamite Head c- couldn't obviously he got hurt and everything, so his career was cut short. But these are two guys you're talking about wrestling tag team wrestling these mm-hmm. are two guys that define tag team wrestling these guys could have at any point in time split up and been great singles wrestlers which we saw later, later in davy boy but as a as a duo they were so good man just really good what are your thoughts on the on dynamite kid and davy boy smith you know sometimes the best tag teams come from rivalries and actually dynamite kid and davy boy smith reflectionites had a rivalry in stampede wrestling in canada Stu hearts canada and they put them together, and we got gold. And Vince McMahon, Uncle Vinny, you know, needed a tag team division. And, of course, the British Bulldogs were that great tag team. I would say that what hinders them, even though they're still always top 10 or maybe top 15, JB, what say you? Yeah, I mean, you agree with that. Top 10, top 15, at least the most. Top 15, yeah. Now, I guess the problem is you said, they, like you said, they were quiet. Remember that they didn't really get that push to the tag team championship until they had a mouthpiece with Captain Lou Albano, of course. And they got their, you know, they got their payoff at WrestleMania two at the Rose Maharajan against uh, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, the dream team. Again, I keep telling you there's a tag team division, Uncle Dave. I, I'm just showing you examples. But again, you know, maybe the, the lack of charisma and, of course, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, he tried to hide the negatives of not talking and not speaking, you know, with adding Captain Lou Albano and, of course, adding a mascot with Matilda, you know, the bulldog, you know, for the kids. Of course, the kids love the the bulldog thing, you know, but I I guess maybe if they could talk 
and really engage the crowd, which they couldn't do. Maybe that's why they, they you get points off. I don't know. What say you, JB, before we go move on to another tag team? No, I, I agree with you. And I love the I love the point because I forgot myself that that uh uh Dynamite Kid and Dave Boy Smith, I forgot they feuded a while ago from the, uh that was from um Calgary, right? From um mm-hmm. yeah, Stampy Wrestling. I totally forgot about freaking good old Stu's um um uh, Calgary thing. So yeah, that's I mean again, so much we could we could do a whole podcast about the British Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. Had some re- really really good matches as well. So yeah, I, I you know, I totally agree with you there. Right. And you know what? Like we we already did the greatest rivalries with the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express. So for Uncle Dave, why don't you go back into the archives of the PWR podcast? Type in greatest rivalries and you'll hear why the you know Rock and Roll Express and Midnight Express were, were the two greatest tag teams during the 80s renaissance. I'm going to pull a little bit of curveball to you, JB. So, Hold on. There's what? one more tag team I want to talk about in this era. And I okay. saved them for a reason. Go ahead. While, while Demolition were my favorite tag team of all time, my second favorite tag team of all time consisted consist of my favorite rest of all time. And of course, we cannot do this without talking about the fucking Hart Foundation. Uh, Jim D'Anvil Nightheart, Bret Hart. I mean, I love these guys from day one. When they were blue and black in the early, in the, you know, around WrestleMania 3 when they came to, uh, no, actually WrestleMania 2, when mm-hmm. around that time they came to WWE, and I fell in love with these guys. I loved Bret Hart from day one until he, you know, until the end. This was another great tag team, and this was this was sort of like the blueprint of a tag team where a good tag team where you had one guy that was like the brawler, and then you had the other guy that was the technical guy, you know. And and we saw a lot of that later on with different tag teams where they had that sort of blueprint. And uh, Brett couldn't necessarily talk, but Jimmy M. Lightheart could talk. I mean, he could talk all day. Great tag team. What do you think about these guys? And that's why they they overtake, you know, in that talk about top tag teams with the British Bulldogs, since both of them couldn't talk. And you got Jim D'Anvil, Nyhart, the the crazy one of the bunch, that that laugh, that hysterical laugh. And you got Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart adding the peace. They the resistance to the Heart Foundation. They had fuse with the British Bulldogs, Killer Bees, uh, my gun is Strike Force. Uncle Dave, I'm giving you tag teams in the 80s. This shows you the depth. This shows you how it mattered in the golden age of wrestling and the Hart Foundation, you know. And when you added Dangerous Dandy Davis, the referee that cost the British Bulldogs those tag team titles, it was kind of like a great chemistry between them to add a storyline with a with a rogue referee, JB. What say you about the Hart Foundation? Closing thoughts. Great name to pick. Yeah, absolutely. And if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they became the first time ever three-time tag team champs in WF, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I'm 99 point. I, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% positive. It would be between them and Demolition, but I'm 99. I don't even know. If, actually, no, I'm 100%. It, it was the Hart Foundation. They became the first three-time tag team champions. And, um, you know, again, what, what more can you say about these guys? Both these guys could go, like you said, Jim Jim Neidhart, uh, You know, he was great on the mic. That whole Danny Davis thing, that was really funny. But I mean, that just goes to show, though, the littlest and smallest storylines, like a rogue ref, really mm-hmm. got really got over back then because of the way things were done. Things, right. were, everything was was accentuated. You know, if that's the right word I should use, because a little small thing like Danny Davis going rogue and joining the Heart Foundation led to such a big thing. It led to a WrestleMania 4 match and 
No, uh, WrestleMania three. The, the I'm sorry, the six man. Right, six with, man. Coco, with Coco Beware and stuff, right? No, no, it was uh, the British Bulldogs and Tito against yes, Hart Foundation. Mm-hmm. Right, Danny Davis got the pin on Tito, didn't he? He got the pin on uh, Davy Boy, and then of course they got the revenge afterwards after the bell. So, so Danny Davis, you know, got his comeuppance. But you know, everything you just said is so true. It accentuated a great storyline and Hart Foundation again. You could. Everybody is, you know, there's an argument for the tag teams we're naming as top five and top ten. So every name I'm giving out, there's no arguments about top ten. Everybody's going to say, yes, Professor. Yes, JB, you're right. These guys are in the top ten and the top 15. So, you know what, again, for the for the Magnificent Seven, just name out your greatest tag teams. We're not doing a list of one to whatever because that's too no. hard. And it's very – we're just shooting the shit. We're drinking right now and all that stuff. So before we go – Go to the first half break. I'm going to pull a little curveball for you. I wanted to do this and give maybe like a little untapped potential tag team that didn't get his just due. But it was, it could have been, it was a, it was one of those what could have been because they started out in Mid South with Jerry the King Lawler and they, they had great wars with the Sheep Herders. They went to AWA, had great wars with the Road Warriors. And I had the, the wrestling action figures of these. It was Stan Lane and Steve Kern, aka the fabulous ones. They could they 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 had the sex appeal for the ladies because they look like Chippendale dancers, but they brawled with the best of them, JB. And you know, again, Google Fabulous Ones versus the Sheep Herders. That was a blood feud in Mid-South. And of course, Google Fabulous Ones against the Road Wars, because when the Road Wars were AWA tag team champions. Who was the one pecking at their neck, at their heels? The fabulous ones. They were so close to becoming AWA tag team champions. It was, you know, that was a great story. The chase, as Vern Goddard always loved to milk it for all the, the territories in the AWA. Fabulous ones were great chases. And, of course, you know, Jim Cornette saw gold and saw money with uh, Stan Lane. And, of course, you know, it's history after that But for Stan Lane to become – a member of the greatest tag team, you know, arguably the Midnight Express, the top five, top ten. So what say, did you hear about the Fabulous Ones or do you know about them? So what say you, JB? I do. I do know of them. I know of both of them. I've seen quite a few matches. But I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I see a Fabulous One match, the only thing I can think about is like, I look at Steve Kern. I'm like, this fucking guy is Skinner. Like, mm-hmm. I, still, I still can't believe it that that's Skinner. He's um, got range. That, that's what it shows you in this business. When, when a wrestler's got range to change his look and change his character, he goes from a Chippendale guy to a gator, you know, a gator wrestler. The Everglades, yeah. From and the Everglades. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if he still is, but I know for a fact he worked behind the scenes uh, as a suit for a long time. I don't know if he's still there or not, but I know he was there for a really long time behind the scenes. You know, uh, he was one of the road agents, I believe, and... I don't know what his different positions were, and I don't know if he's still there. Be, but be, before NXT became NXT with Triple H, he actually uh, operated the developmental uh, mm. territory in Florida called FCW. So before it, it absolved into okay. NXT, he ran that before it went out of business. So that's what gotcha. he did for Vince McMahon. Now, I don't know if you want to wait until after the break, but I have a list of maybe like six or seven untapped potentials. We don't have to go deep and talk with them, but uh, these are people that I want to give them their shine. I don't know if you want to wait until after the break or not. 
Yes, let's take a quick break, a little pause for the cause here, as our executive producer, Big Ray Hernandez, is going to show you. Some, there's too many tag teams reflection nights. So hopefully Ray tries to bring it down to maybe three or four minutes where you hear some great promos and hear some great match, you know, history of the greatest tag teams here at the PWR podcast, which is always brought to you by Brosters. You know, TW needs brosters. You know, when you look, go over the border in Canada and you clip your, you know, you hurt your calf or your ankles, you need some brosters coffee. It's always brought to you by brosters, always brought to you by RussoBrand.com, and always brought to you by StevieRichardsFitness.com. Let's take a pause for the cause here and get into these great moments in tag teams here at the PWR Podcast. Perched up on that second rope. What's he thinking about? Oh. Holy Moses rammed right head first. That got oh, it's over. Oh, my oh, it's like that. It's over. I can't believe it. History made here at WrestleMania 2. You have got to be kidding me. This place is coming apart. Pandemonium broken loose here in the Rosemont Horizon as history made in WrestleMania 2 as we have new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions.
back to the top. Frog splash. This is their chance. One, two, got it. Ladies and gentlemen, your winners, the new yeah, yeah. TNA World Tag Champions, Captain American
Ladies and gentlemen, the winners and new world tag team champions, Ron Simmons, between the team of doom. Bubba Cutter! Cutter! Cutter makes the save! From Bradshaw, nothing wrong with this either. Oh, look out! Oh, what a shot! Hey, ref! The referee didn't see it! And Bradshaw! And yes! There's a tornado DDT! Could that be all? The leg is hooked! Yes! We've got new tag champions! The Hardys have upset the Acolytes! I can't believe it! The Hardys are the new tag team champions! What a shocker! ...it around after Beer Money had the edge you At see, the outset of the restart. Mike, we just saw in that wide shot there, senior official Hebner is on the outside. Watch this thing. Earl Hebner. Cross body off the top. Shelly on for the pin. Three, two. Somebody out of there. Lock Randy Orton. No, leave him in. Conrad Flair, get him, ref. Flair's done. He can barely move. He's going to try it, though. Flair looking for the figure four. Got speared. That is game, could be over. set, match. Oh it's over. we got new champions, JR. We've got new world tag Here team champions. And the new world tag team champion, Randy Orton and Gotta go for a pin here. Charlie House landed on his head. That was not a good landing. Tag team titles on the line. Man. Suplex. Brock Splash is coming, baby. Connects. Shoulders are down. One, two, three. Guerreros wins the tag team titles. Here are your winners and the new WWE Tag Team Champions. Now Jimmy Uso, oh, catches a shot there, and now Biggie, Biggie, center of the ring. Uh-oh, uh-oh, New Day, midnight hour, cover. The New Day are champions once again. <laughs> yeah. Here are your winners, and the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Once again, SmackDown Live Tag Team Champions, boys. There's gonna be some serious twerking on the strip tonight. That's a Alrighty, Reflection Nights. Welcome back to the second half. Oh my goodness, I could I couldn't all those tag teams, JB. I can't, you know, there's just so many to name.
just too many. And, and Ray did his due diligence. He did the best he could. And if I'm going to grade him as objective as I am, I'm going to give him an A minus, JB. What say you? What, what grade you give him for all those tag teams he, he came out of his ass with? I'm going to go ahead and give him an A plus just to round things out. Okay. See, that's, that's being a fanboy right there. See, that's being a fanboy. I'm being objective. That's being a fanboy. But uh, that's okay. What can I say? I'm a big Ray Mark. There you go. All right. JB, I mean, you, you had some names before the break. So, you know, give out a couple of names. What is it? Untapped Potential, Greatest Tag Teams. Where, where, where are you going with this? I'm going Untapped Potential. You and me, I just want to hear, again, we don't have to go deep, but I just want to hear, you know, professors' perspectives. We're going to get a, we're gonna get a perspective. Perspective. What do you think about the, am I off my rock or not? The mm -hmm. first one I want to talk about, I'm going way back in the day here in the 80s. I know they were very short-lived. Can-Am Connection. I'm talking about Rick Martel and Tom Zink. Well, if it wasn't for Tom Zink's uh, politicking and mm -hmm. wanting to and wanting to be, you know, Shawn Michaels before Shawn Michaels. Yeah. You know, he, he saw himself as a, as a big main eventer. So I can't blame him. But if we didn't get that kind of thinking, we would not have gotten strike force. So it, it is a what have, what could have been tag team. But, you know, yeah. Untapped potential. I'll give you that. Yes. All right. Let, let's go. Let's stick with the 80s. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you might disagree, but the Islanders. Uh, what could have been? They... Again, you know, when you have the wild Samoans in the 70s, when you saw that, I mean, if you're trying to compare histories, you, the Islanders were way better than the wild Samoans. But the wild Samoans had just a better look and the bet. And maybe the stereotypes of being the wild Samoans and, and, you know, Vince McMahon can actually, you know, accentuate the stereotypes more for the wild Samoans than he could for the Islanders. They weren't really treated right. I don't know. And they were in the Heenan family. I couldn't understand that. So maybe maybe the Tonga kid, you know, again, delusions of grandeur. You know, maybe he had a had a had a swelled head after the body slam with when he went was co-starring with Roddy Piper. Their their untapped potential. I'll give you that, JB. Uh sticking and, with and, and, and before you go to another one, I mean th their war with British Bulldogs, mm -hmm. Google those that could have what could have been. And especially that would have been for the tag team championships. Oh, that would have been awesome. Go ahead, JB. I'm sorry. And that's right. And Haku is probably you. You hear you watch these shooting reviews and stuff. Haku is probably known as one of the the most realistic badasses ever, ever in the wrestling industry. So yeah, great tag team. And uh, just uh, the last one to round out the '80s. Uh, I'm going back to Rick Martel. I'm talking about Rick Martel and Tito Santana. I know they had a title run, but Strike Force. I mean. They, they were they didn't they weren't around for a long time, but here's two good looking guys. Both of them could go in the ring. Former tag champions. What do you have to say about them? Again, that could have been Can Am Connection if Tom Zink, you know, had a thought business wise. That's what it was. That that was the Can Am Connection. That was the direction the Can Am Connection was going to go with. I don't think Vince McMahon saw Tito Santana in that teeny bopper role like he saw with Tom Zink. I think yeah. he saw he saw all that, you know, the fabulous ones. He saw the Rock and Roll Express in the Can-Am connection because Tom Zink had a better look than Tito Santana. But Tito Santana was loyal to the company. And when he went away from that mid-card, upper mid-card status with the Intercontinental title, you know, at least, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, he paid his dues and rewarded the loyalty of his service to the WWF with a tag team title reign. So I give, I give him props for that. So I actually, strike forces on tap potential. I, I actually lied. There is one more eighties tag team and that's the Rougeos. Rougeos. Come on. 
Well, come on. The, the heel Rougeos were way yeah. better than the face Rougeos. The All American Boys. The All American. Yeah. The All American Boys were were great. And of course, you hear the backstage stories about how uh, oh, them and the Bulldogs. Yeah, them and the Bulldogs. They never liked each other. And Raymond Rougeau wanted to kick the shit out of Dynamite Kid. No, so, it, was Jacques, it was Jacques Rougeau. Oh, it was Jacques, oh, yeah. whatever. But they hated the Bulldogs, and the Bulldogs hated them. So when they went bad and they did the All American gimmick. Oh yes, you got you gotta you got untapped potential gold there. They could have been tag team champions, and I would have been mad when they were the all American gimmick, but oh, you know, again, this is this is the problem with Mr. McMahon. You know, as the years waned, who did he value with the tag team division? It it, it just all these again, you're giving out names that shows the depth of WWF tag teams. So, you know Let me let me go let me go to a different scale here because you know, it's a little bit WWF, it but is. I gotta but I gotta give you a little bit of the. I NW- was about to give you a WCW name. But I gotta give you the NWA first, sure. Because because it kind of intertwines by how they changed the range. They you know they were good heels. They they can incite a crowd. But then when they went to WWF, and I think you'll know who I'm talking about. The kids loved them. The kids gravitated towards them. You know them as the bushwhackers in WWF, but in the NWA in the territory days, they were known as the sheep herders. And the range, they are Hall of Famers for a reason. The range that they can go from, from heels to baby faces is night and day. They were scary motherfuckers to kids in the NWA days. And WWF, they were the, the lovable ones that licked your face. What say you about the sheep herders slash bushwhackers? You look at the bushwhackers and you see two idiots that are walking down the aisle and, and marching and licking people in the audience. Go back and wa- look up the name sheep herders. You will be absolutely shocked at what you see. I mean, these guys had some of the most violent matches like ever. I mean, picture Abdullah the Butcher like in a mumu gardening. Mm-hmm. That's what you see him, and then you go back and you see like the matches that he had. It's equivalent to that. Like you would never know if you just know of Bushwhackers only, not what they did before. the re- The reason the Bushwhackers got inducted in the Hall of Fame, I strongly believe, has not that much to do with their WWE run. Yes, they were very popular and very over, but they must have lost like ninety five percent of their matches. And it didn't matter. No one cared. Uh, no, because people love them. And their merch, I remember seeing some, I forgot what it was. They sold a lot of merch from the hats to the, the action figures. They sold a lot of merch. They were one of the more popular tag teams. But when it comes down to like in the ring, look up the Sheepers. Please look up the Sheepers. You would not believe what you see. A- absolutely, 100%. And JB, I know you got other tag teams. In the in the in the locker room or whatever in in the laboratory. So go ahead, JB. I know you got another untapped potential out there. This is '90s and it's WCW, and I know both guys went on to have. Well, one guy had an amazing career, and the other guy, you know, he had a career as well. I'm talking about, but I'm talking about as specifically as a tag team unit, not singles, but tag team. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the Hollywood Blondes, Steve mm-hmm. Austin and Brian Pillman. They Thoughts. dominated. They dominated the WCW tag team division in '93. They they owned that tag team division, and you know what? It took Brian Pillman to get Steve Austin out of his shadow, so to speak. Steve Austin was this untapped potential man who, re- not the, I'm not going to say rarely spoke, but just didn't have the confidence to be that you know beer swilling, say swear out there. 
if you really looked at the interviews, you know, Brian Pillman kind of egged him on to like, you know, just be natural, just go with the flow. And they had fun and the chemistry was right there. You know, they're mad, you know, when you compare them, some people, and if you hear the, uh, the commentary of Jesse, the body Ventura, he compared them with their style, like Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, like the Andersons of Gene and Ole Anderson. They took the, they, they, you know, they, they, uh, took half the ring over, they dominated the match, they went after a body part a little bit. So, you know, it, it, great pick, JB. What say you about them? I mean, you know, great singles careers, you're, you're right. And, of course, Stone Cold is Stone Cold. But exactly. It took Brian Pillman to egg him on to, to like get that charismatic, uh, get that charisma over. What say I, you? I, I think Brian Pillman plays a huge part in Stone Cold's career, both in WCW and WWE, because – and it took Brian Pillman to get that kind of character out in Stone Cold. I mean, you saw you saw a different uh, Steve Austin when he was with the Hollywood Blondes. You saw him, you know, more character out of him than just, yeah, he was good in the ring, but you saw more character out of him. And then again, in WWE, I, I know this has nothing to do with Hollywood Blondes, but just going off of Brian Pillman, when they had that segment where, you know, Stone Cold was breaking to Brian Pillman's uh, um, house, that's one of the most iconic moments on Raw ever. People still talk about that. Yeah, he, he had a gun, right? He was yeah, he had a gun. <laughs> he had a gun, and it was so beautiful because, like, this is like I want to say like ninety six, ninety seven, maybe. I'm mm-hmm. thirteen years old. I think I'm thinking this shit is legit because the camera went. I remember a camera went off here. I'm like, oh my god, Stone Cold's about to fucking go to jail and shoot Brian Pillman. I mean, Brian Pillman's about to shoot Stone Cold and shit. So. <laughs> But again, these two made a great pairing, and you know, if you listen to Stone Cold's podcast and have listened to past interviews, he always says amazing things about Brian Pillman. They were, you know, good friends, and and yeah, I mean, I mean, they were very, very untapped potential. Didn't have the longest run, but it's because both these guys were great single stars. And sometimes when you're when you're when you are that good, you can, you can only be together for so long, unfortunately. Absolutely, and if we're gonna stick to the '90s, we gotta talk about a tag team. That people probably say changed the game in the 90s. And, of course, I'm talking about Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, the Outsiders. They changed the game. I'll go ahead and delete them off my list. They changed the game politic-wise with the the contract situation, favored nations. And they changed the game with the, the fortunes of WCW. Of course, being you know, the triple threat of the NWO. You had that. Those two coming in. Changing the face of the Monday Night Wars, JB, they do they really get the credit for being the tag team that it is because they never really took it seriously because sometimes they kind of disrespected the tag team division. It was their goal to disrespect WCW tradition. It was their goal to like, you know, fuck up the, the traditions of WCW. They just wanted the money. They wanted the clout and all that stuff. So do they get credit? I can't call them a top 10 tag team or am I wrong here? What, what say you, JB? No, you're 100% correct. You want to say NWO is a top 10 or a top 5 or a top 3 stable? 100%. But mm-hmm. the outsiders, they never, I mean, they never took, you're right, they never took it seriously. You mostly hear Kevin Nash as a singles or, or Scott Hall as a singles or NWO as a, a total stable. Mm-hmm. The only the only little part you ever hear about the outsor- outsiders is those first maybe first month or so or whatever it is when it was just them two. Once Hogan came in, you, there was nothing. I mean, the outsiders were dead. I mean, yeah, they were still having matches and stuff, but the focus was, was on NWO as a unit once mm-hmm. Hogan was introduced. And then they brought on Chayan and et cetera, et cetera. Only in that first you know, month or two or however long it was, was it really truly the outsiders in my opinion. 
So you don't really count those tag team reigns or anything. Like I said, it was a little. They're not bit a of... top ten. No, I mean, I'll give you top twenty-five. Me and let me tell you, if I give if I give them top twenty, it has nothing to do with their accolades or what they did in the ring. It's solely based on what they did for the business. That's the only reason I would rank them. Period. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for what they did for the business, I, I I wouldn't even rank them in the top twenty. To be honest with you. But that there you go. So it, it is a great debate. For all the reflectionites, for all the magnificent seven, I know even Dino Destruction is. Once he hears this, he's gonna like he's gonna try to prove you wrong. I I, I love Dino Destruction. Me too. I love Phyllis Scott Wood. So he's gonna make sure. I already know that he's on the on the PWR Facebook fan pages. You know, this is a loyal listener, and I want the other magnificent seven members to be as loyal as Dino Destruction. Just leave those comments out there. So you know, I'm sure you know he answered. A couple of days ago with managers, I sure I know a couple of days, you know, a couple of days later, he's going to answer with these great tag teams here. So I wanted to put the outsiders there because, you know, in the debates, in the debates for the 90s, they are technically one of the greatest tag teams in the 90s. Can we say that? A hundred percent. Again, because of what they did, what they did for the industry. Now, I have four more untapped potentials I want to ask you about, but I want to hold off on that for a second, because if you're going to talk about. South side and the okay. outsiders. Let's go. Let's go north side. Let's go to New York and let's talk about a tag team called the New Age Outlaws. We could talk about them too. And you know what? The funny thing about it is right place, right yes. time, right yes. situation. Yes, sir. Both of, both of them were, you know, toiling away in the singles uh, reigns, especially Road Dog. Especially Road Dog when he lost, you know, Jeff Jarrett to WCW in 96. So, you know, he was aimlessly, like, wandering like a lost puppy. And they just put them together. And, you know, while there were shotguns Saturday nights and superstars, you know, they honed their craft. And, of course, you know, the Attitude Era. You got to, you know, if it wasn't for the Attitude Era and if it wasn't for them to, you know, break away the shackles of the micromanaging and let them, you know, and let Road Dog grow those braids and have those soliloquies and, and just say what he said. And of course, Billy Gunn didn't have to say anything but suck it. So everything about their talking aspect makes them a top maybe 15 tag team. I can't say they're a great tag team in the ring because sometimes they were very generic and basic, but yes. their stuff, their stuff got over with 10,000 people. The no characters matter what. and the mic work. There you go. What say you, JB, about the new age? Well, you brought them up. What say you? Yeah, the characters and the mic work. Let's let's like when we're talking attitude era and like nineties, uh, you know, and early two thousands and stuff like that. Let's take away the top three for a second. Let's take away Edge of Christian. Let's take away Hardy Boys. Let's take away Dudley Boys. Mm-hmm. I think there's no other team better than them during right. that era, in my opinion. Again, they're not the greatest workers. We understand that, but this is a great example. To show you don't necessarily have to be the greatest workers to get over because they got over on the mic. People went apeshit crazy over them. They got over on the mic and their characters were, were incredible. I mean, both of them, uh, they're both, again, they're not, you know, you're not going to say they're top five tag team ever. But when you're talking about what they did and, and, and their connections with DX and during the whole Monday Night Wars, you have to absolutely talk about them. And during that whole era, they are absolutely 100% a top 10 team, in my opinion. Absolutely, my goodness, JB. There's so many names. This and we're trying to do it. I got four ju- more. 
and they and we're trying to do justice here, but we you know we gotta at least give a little bit of the eighties, a little bit of the nineties, a little bit of the two thousands. So I'm gonna go backwards into the eighties. I got I'm two eighties for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little curveball because while they're not considered a a tag team per se, they were they were tag, but you know their history as being a tag team. You're gonna be you're gonna be it's it's kind of funny when you think about it. They won. The Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup in 1988. In the 90s, they were former WCW Tag Team Champions. But yet you don't talk about them in the lores of debating as a great tag team. Because sometimes no one really thought thinks about them. Sid and Vader? Is, no. Sting and Lex Luger. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they won the – as in the 80s, they were the ones that were – they were the two guys – they were going to lead WCW or NW or whatever you want to call them into the 90s after Flair passed the torch to one of them, which was Sting. But, of course, Luger toiled along in the 90s, too. So, you know, and, of course, Ric Flair was a little bit, you know, you know, the politicking. And, and of course, he was like he wanted Sting. He he wanted Sting. And we, we know the history right there. But, of course, the business wise. You had to go with what brought you to the dance. And sometimes Ric Flair became heavyweight champion again. So the torch wasn't fully passed. But again, we can talk about these two as a tag team because they had matches with the Road Warriors. They had matches with the Horsemen. And, of course, in the 90s, they had matches with the Steiner Brothers. They had matches with the Outsiders. They had matches with Harlem Heat. What say you about this, I guess, untapped potential tag team of Sting and Lex Luger? You don't think about them as a tag team. No, and you know what? I mean, this is so long ago, but correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't the night when NWO was like going crazy backstage attacking everybody and when they they threw Rey Mysterio into the trailer, wasn't that in the middle of uh, the match where it was Sting and Luger versus the Steiners? Or am I wrong? Or do you remember? They I were think- at, it was an eight-man tag with all four of them. It was an eight-man? Yeah, against the Dungeon of Doom on the other side. For some reason, I thought it was a two-on-two. I don't know why. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they have a lot of history. I mean, it's Sting and Luger. I mean, both Hall of Famers, obviously. Um, yeah, and people don't really talk about them that much because, I mean, I get, they didn't have some long run. And, obviously, they're more well-known for their singles runs. But, yeah, absolutely untapped. When you're talking about untapped potential, what could have been if these guys – these guys were too good to be a tag team forever. But if, mm-hmm. if, they, if they were just one level below where they really were, they could have been a great tag team for a long period of time. You know, Uncle Dave – Look at the names we just dropped. And we're not even trying right now. We're just bringing this out the dome. We're drunk right now in the boardroom. We are drunk. And we're just naming these tag teams. And you're giving, and you have the unmitigated call to be on Twitter to talk about how deep and how this is the best tag team division in the history of wrestling. How dare you? How dare you, Uncle Dave? Go ahead, JB. I'm sick of Uncle Dave right now. Give me an, You said you had four tag teams. Go ahead. I got, I got four tag teams. I got one from the 80s, one from the early 90s, one from the mid-90s, one from the late 90s. I'm going to go in order in terms of age. Uh, <laughs> for the 80s, and I can't believe we didn't talk about them, uh, And but that just goes to show that they're very underrated. I know they never won the tag team titles. I know they never won a lot of matches. I'm talking about these guys, their looks. And I'm talking about the talent that they had in the ring. And I'm talking about Powers of Pain. Barbarian, Warlord. We're talking about people said Demolition was a ripoff. Demolition was no damn ripoff of Legion of uh, Road Warriors. Powers of Pain were the true ripoffs of, of uh, Road Warriors. What do you say? With the look, because the Warlord has... Yeah, 
Right. Warlord had the Hawk's haircut. The Barbarian had Animal's haircut. The paint was a little bit shoddy on both ends. They didn't really care about that. But they did win. They were former NWA six-man tag team champions. Oh, they yeah. Were, they're always thwarting the Road Wars in their tag team championship run. And when they went to WWF, they were – the worst thing – was deciding them to be baby faces because no oh. one cared. Oh, I, I was there at SummerSlam 88. You were and, there? Yes, I was. Well, where and, was that? Garden? Yeah, it was at the Garden. And they debuted. They debuted against the Bolsheviks. Now, I have to be objective here. Only NWA people, any, only the, you could tell the ones who watched both products knew who they were. The fans did not really gravitate towards them. And I think... Vince McMahon knew that there was a it was a mistake to bring them as baby faces like three months and three months later you know the 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 turn with Mr. Fuji and, of, and they had a more decent heel run in the WWF so Vince McMahon knew at the garden if you couldn't make it in the garden you was not gonna make it as a long career as the powers of pain so that's what why was, what was your initial reaction to them were you like oh these guys are baby faces these guys are heel or were you not even thinking about that type of stuff I wasn't I was I wasn't thinking about that. I was like, oh shit, they got they're here from the NWA. Right, right, right. And they brought in Baron Von Rash. And I was like, Baron Von Rashke too? My good. I was like, damn. Wow, this, this is gonna be interesting. And then when, when Baron Von Rashke left to go back to the AWA, I was like, oh, they were they're done. They was like they were they were puppies. They were lost puppies again. So it, it just didn't work for them. But like I said, if, if people really look at that match, they didn't make it. They didn't have that great debut that Vince McMahon wanted at the Garden. If you couldn't make it in the Garden, you wasn't going to make it anyway. Go ahead, JB. You got another one for me? Lay it on. I got three more. This one is from the early – it's all three 90s. And this one's the early 90s. And I know you're probably going to look at me like I'm stupid. And I'm sure everybody is going to look at me like I'm stupid. But I want you to – before you call me stupid – I'll think, call you stupid. I'll call you stupid right now. Think about think about the Rolodex. Think about their matches. What their matches looked like. I know they couldn't talk and all that, but just think about their matches. The quality of their matches. I'm talking about super underrated, Orient Express, and I'm talking about both Orient Express. I'm talking about Tanaka and Kato and Tanaka and uh, Saito. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me like I'm stupid already, but look look at the matches they had with the Rockers. They had some. They had good matches with Heart Foundation. I know. They didn't win that much, and they were just there to to get over with you know the baby faces get over with them. But they were enhan- the they were they were great enhancement tag team. I give you that. Those two I mean, Royal Rumble matches with the Rockers, come on, man. No, it was, they were good, but I mean when we when we talk about greatest tag teams, you know the the valueization because every tag team we're naming, there's a great valueization, even with untapped potentials. And the Orient Express served a purpose. I'll give you that. But you know you gotta win some, JB. I, I just okay. gotta. You gotta win some. I, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm just saying you just gotta win some. And if they had a run with the tag team titles, I would have said yeah, untapped potential. But they never got that. They're just due. And I think with Saito going down with injury, once Kato came in, the guy with the mask, it and was he was different. It was different, and it was Paul Diamond. You're but right. it just it just didn't matter. They right. were just. They were just the Brooklyn Brawlers of tag team wrestling. That's that's the way I'll go. Go ahead, JB. Another tag team. Keep them coming. I got two more. This is from the mid-90s, and, you know, they weren't around for a long time. Both amazing singles talents. Um, I would say they're on top potential. Yes, they won the tag team titles, but they didn't have a super long run. Do not and say I, the smoking guns, please. 
No, bro. Oh, no, okay. absolutely not. Oh. And probably, and not probably, but my favorite heel of all time is part of this tag team. Do you remember who my favorite heel of all time is? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. I, I'm, I'm drunk did, right now. We did a spotlight on him. We did a spotlight? Oh, Teddy. Oh, Money Inc. Yes, sir. There you go. What are your I, thoughts you. on them? Well, they main evented WrestleMania 9. Co-made evented the, the Money Inc. against the Mega Maniacs. And, of course, you know, we had hey, that history. CM Punk says if you don't go on last, it's not considered a main event. Well, it was a co-main event, so we got to give the double its due. You know what the funny thing about Money Inc.? The look was there. You know, you had the you know you had the money man Teddy Biasi and the IRS man. It just shouldn't it shouldn't have worked. That's I'm just saying that it, it, you know when you look at it with the 2020 eyes, how could a, a man of money be a tag team with the with the auditor from the IRS? It just doesn't mesh because you want to protect your money, but it just worked. And of course, Mike Rotunda and Ted DiBiase, second generation wrestlers, wrestling families, they know the business so well. So yes, it worked for no, you know, it just what when it shouldn't have worked, it worked. I'll give you that, JB. And before I move into the last one, just for the younger guys out there, or maybe for the guys that don't know, who is Mike Rotunda, aka IRS's son again? Bray Wyatt. Absolutely, Bray Wyatt. That's Bray Wyatt's father we're talking about. Anyway, the last tag team I want to talk about. In terms of untapped potential, we always talk about, and there's so many examples of Vince McMahon getting someone and just turning that person into gold. Mm -hmm. But this example is Vince McMahon getting a team that was potential gold and turned them into absolute shit. Probably one of the teams coming with the absolute highest ceilings that did absolutely nothing. And I'll give you a hint. They came in in the late 90s. They really achieved absolutely nothing in WWE. You want to take a shot? Never won the title. Never was a big thing. But they had so much potential. They did things outside of WWE, just not in WWE. Late 90s. You're not talking about Public Enemy, are you? No. I'm stumped right now. Philip LaFon and Doug Furness. Uh, you know what? Billy Ray Valentine always, you know... He he loved them so much. He always kept fawning over them with ECW. They had wars with the with the Eliminators. They had wars with the Gangsters. They had a little bit of a war with the Public Enemy before they went to WCW. Look at the names I even said out of ECW. Goddamn, hmm. Uncle Dave. But you know what? The the funny thing is, again, they fall into the trappings of the British Bulldogs because they could have been tag team champs, in my opinion. No, they they should have been tag team champions, yes. but. But again, they fall into the trappings of the British Bulldogs with the lack of charisma and lack of managers. Because mm-hmm. this was they were, if they were associated with, let's say, Jimmy Hart in the eighties, they would have been tag team champions. If if they were in the ECW long enough to be with, associated with, uh, let's just say, Bill Alfonso, they would have been ECW tag team champions. But they weren't. They just were so generic and basic. And and the timing was so wrong because, again, when you have the attitude error, when you have the realism, when you had people, you know, cursing or so, whatever, Philip LaFon and Doug Furness were just so basic. They would be perfect for, let's say, 2005 Ring of Honor, 2005 TNA, when it was just about the wrestling and the athletic purity of wrestling. Wrong place, wrong time. Go ahead, baby. No, I mean, you said it beautifully, actually. I mean, yeah, I mean... 
the thing is, as you were saying, I was like, you know what? Maybe Vince should have made them heal. The problem is with their style of fighting, their style of wrestling, they, they couldn't have been heels. It just wouldn't have made sense. But, yeah, I feel like they did lack in the charisma, but they had so much raw talent. I mean, I know they had a run in, in Japan and everything. Mm-hmm. Just un- untapped potential, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that was it? That's, that was all the, the tag teams you can name? I mean, I could we could go on all night, man. There is tons of names, but I'm just, remember this is a sh- this is this episode is dedicated to the middle finger for Uncle Dave Meltzer for saying what he said. So you know what? Let's go back into the eighties. We have we didn't even talk about the fucking Hardy Boys. We didn't even talk about Edge and Christian. Those are for those are some of the newer that, guys. That, that's for the newer guys, but we already know. You know what? You already know about TLC. You already know about WrestleMania seventeen. We don't have to, you know. Keep you know, killer bees. The killer bees is a great untapped potential uh, tag team. You know, there's so many names right now. I could go back to the AWA with Jim Brunzel, the high flyers himself, and Greg Gagne, multiple time AWA tag team champions. You know, when Greg Gagne couldn't do dick with as a heavyweight champion, you know, because no one accepted that, they can accept him as the tag team champion with Jim Brunzel. So, you know what? Oh, you know, let, let's take let's take a pause right here. Let, let's talk about doom right here. You know, Black Lives Matter, but mm-hmm. the end of but this was very prevalent because before Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas in 1983, again another untapped potential tag team. But you know, business wise, it couldn't work out between Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. But this was a great pairing for Doom, and this was this was a career saver for Ron Simmons and Butch Reed because they were toiling as singles wrestlers. And sometimes when you toil as singles wrestlers and you just come together, you know the stars align. You had a black manager, you had all the stars align here, and when they defeated, I believe it was the Steiner brothers for the NWA Tag Team Champions Championship belts. They had a great run. They had a dominant run in 1990 to a little bit of 91 before the, you know, WCW brass wanted to elevate Ron Simmons into the heavyweight championship role. What say you about Doom? You just named them. This is great. Yeah, I mean, th- uh, like you said, at the time, there was not much going on for Butch Reed, for, for Ron Simmons, and this helped revitalize their career. More so Ron Simmons because <laughs> this this led to being better things for him, uh, not only in WCW, but just the rest of his career. Butch Reed kind of, kind of uh, you know, died away a little bit. But the Doom was a great tag team, an untapped potential tag team, you know. And like you said, they beat the Steiners. Um, not every, there was not a lot of teams back then that were beating the Steiner brothers. So it mm-hmm. just went to show... You know what, the potential that they had, and how much you know the, the company believed in them. Absolutely. And you want to, you want to, you want to take it back even old school. I, I, we got you. You really got me. You didn't tell me this before the show, but you really got me pissed off with this whole fucking Dave Meltzer bullshit. But <laughs> we'll take it even old school. We'll talk about Rick Martel and Tony Guerrilla. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, of course I remember them. Yeah, Tanaka and Fuji. If you want to go like fucking go really go. I mean, so I mean the Briscoe brothers. You want to, mm-hmm. you know. Go back the funks. We we got names. The Devon Erics. The Von Erics, great tag team too. Even the Freebirds, the Freebirds were great. Were great NWA tag team champions. Even the dynamic dudes of Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace are better than four of your AEW tag teams. And I'm talking about Private Party. I'm talking about uh, Proud and Powerful. I'm talking about SCU. And I'm not even trying to be a mark here. I'm just telling you that the dynamic dudes are better than a couple of tag teams in AEW's 2020 tag teams. So, you know what? 
before we end the show, because we, there's so many tag teams to name, what is JB's criteria? Not, you know, I'm not saying give out your top fives, but right. what makes a JB top five? What is your criteria for greatest tag teams in your top five? What What are your sound points? For me, it's it's. I think my number one thing is cohesiveness. How the mm-hmm. two guys work together, mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with obviously how they were on the mic. Also, how they were, you know, just the normal things, how they were in the ring on the mic, uh, the cohesiveness. And then also, um, I, I don't really give much. I don't really give a shit about accolades because the Rockers are in my top 10 and they never won dick um, mm-hmm. in WWE. But so the accolades don't really mean to me. But yeah, those are the main things. What they did on the mic, what kind of impact did they have? Not necessarily even on the industry, but if I'm talking about my favorites, what impact did they have on me personally? Like, mm-hmm. what did they do for? We're talking 80s and 90s, so we're talking at a very young JB, under you know under 18 years old. Uh, you know, in some cases, I was in you know elementary school watching a lot of these guys. So, what impact did they have on me? And 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 uh, you know, my favorite matches, my favorite moments with them. And yeah, that's how I kind of break down my top five. What about you? What is the what is the the professor standard? The standard is longevity, and and not longevity with with a twenty year run, but longevity in the standpoint of how how valuable you was on the card. You know, you could even you could talk about even the Rockers, even the WWF run, the longevity they had in those four years. About four meant, years, yeah, meant something. Even if you had a had a run for two years, if that long if that was longevity and that cohesion, and you. And it, was, it just meant something. If you just had that, those matches that meant something, that's a great criteria because for me. And, and of I, course, I have to use accolades because, you know, that's why I put the Dudley Boys in the top five because you cannot beat having tag team championships in big organizations. Go ahead, JB. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. What I was going to say, uh, actually, I think I forgot. It. Oh, w- you're talking about the Rockers. Another thing is, how did the people react to them? Were they over? Were they over in terms of baby faces? Did they draw a lot of heat, garner a lot of heat as heels? When mm-hmm. the Rockers broke up, there were people in the audience crying. Mm-hmm. When, when fucking Shawn Michaels put Jenny through the, the, the barbershop window. So they connected with people. And that's another criteria. Not only in tag teams, but just any uh, top wrestlers in, in anything, in any organization, or in any list. Is how well did they connect with the audience, whether as a, as a heel or a babyface, and the Rockers and a lot of these teams we talked about here tonight mm-hmm. connected with the audience. Absolutely. And before we close out, because there's so many, I mean, I could go into the '70s Reflectionites, the Valiant Brothers. Yes. They were great tag teams. I can go back even to the Andersons, Ole and Gene Anderson. You talked about the Briscoe Brothers. They actually had great matches with the Road Warriors. Reflectionize. Google those matches. What about the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. That is that's the, that's them. Well, well, no, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. But Gene was in, Gene was part of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. That was the original Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Oh. I, I know you know of Ole and Arn Anderson right, as the right, Minnesota right. Wrecking Crew, but you know that that was you know storyline wise, they were all Minnesota Wrecking Crew. But again, it was just that family storyline. Even though you know you peel the curtain back. They were all Minnesota Wrecking Crews. Jesse Superstar. Jesse who? Jesse Ventura. And Superstar Billy Graham? Yeah, they were tag team partners. You didn't know that? Yeah. Look it up. I I think you... No, 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 no. You're confusing it. It was Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. 
the East-West connection. Trust me. Trust the professor. No, I know the East-West connection, but I could have swore. I have to go back and look. I could have swore they tagged for a little while. Mm-mm. Different yeah. errors? No. No, because, you know, when uh, Superstar Billy Graham had... Was had Superstar a Minnesota? He's from Minnesota? Uh, no, Arizona. Trust me. The Maybe East I'm West, mistaken it for, for Adrian Adonis. It, 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 trust me. It's the East-West. I mean, you even that's an untapped potential. Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis was a great tag team in the WWF days. And you even talk about the Hardy Boys in the 2000s and the Edge and Christian. NWA, when the Impact Wrestling in the mid-2000s, you had America's Most Wanted. You had beer money. Even, I was about to say beer money. Even Motor City Machine Guns. I was guns. just about to say them, too. They are great tag teams. So, you know, every decade had great tag teams and a great tag team division. And for Uncle Dave to say that, you know, everybody in the ADW tag team roster is not only on par with each other, but so leveled. No, you have also Rands. You have your main Avengers, just like any any decade. JB, can you at least, can we at least agree on that? I'm not saying that AEW doesn't uh, focus on tag team wrestling because they do. But you have your A-listers, you have your B-listers, and you have your C-listers. What say you before we close out on this greatest tag team uh, PWR podcast? I really have nothing else to say. I mean, you 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 put it well. Um, Dave Meltzer is just whacked out. I mean, if it, <laughs> it, it, it was it was New Japan, and now he's on the AEW. Did you, did you did you give him your drink? Is that what it is? Did you give him that drink before he tweeted that shit out? I don't know what he is. I mean, a Tony Thomas <laughs> gave him a bonus or some shit. Who knows? Yes, he did. So, you know what? This has been a great room here. I mean, last week, we did the managers. This week, we did tag teams. And, of course, I hear you, Magnificent Seven. We have I hear one more you. week of the boardroom, though, to close out I, July. Yes, we, we do. And I'm just saying, I hear you that we didn't name every tag team. Again, this would be a five-hour thing. We can't mm-hmm. do that. So, you know what? This has been a great uh, boardroom here. So, I don't know what we're going to do next next week. So we're going to have to kind of like, you know, we got one tag team. I'm not can keys the doors. Yes. I know they're on tap potential. No, yes. And I know I'm going to butcher the name, but correct me. Is it Los Brutos? Oh, Los Rudos. Los Rudos. There yeah. you go. T- 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 potential right there. That, yes. Shout out T- to you, brother. T- shout out to TW and Los Rudos with his tag team. They should be. Where are they? Top six, right? They're number six. They're usually top three. There you go. Top of three, all right? time. Of all time. Not even on top potential. I mean, you have Road Warriors, Dudley Boys, and Los Rudos. Make the checkout TW to JB. Care of the PC. Listen, if fucking Belcher could do it to the Young Bucks, why the fuck can I do it for the Rudo- Los Rudos? You can do it. You, you're welcome. It's a free country to do it. And that, my friends, has been episode 121 of the PWR podcast. Greatest tag teams here at HackerHami at Powerbeam.com. This was this has been a great one. And of course, name your tag teams. I, if you want to list them as your top fives, go ahead. We didn't. We we could try to, but that would be another debate for another. And I would have to crucify JB on the on his debating skills with top five tag teams, and I would kill him on that. But anyway, that's okay. But again, in closing, it's subjective. What I like, what JB Most likes. Effects, number one. There you go. What I like, what JB likes, is different than what TW likes. Is different than what the Magnificent Seven likes. Is different than what anybody on the PWS Facebook fan page likes or Hacker Hameen Facebook fan page likes. Solomonsters, we all have different criteria. 
but it's great to debate on this. So Jay, so random. What the fuck? I'm, I'm a random kind of man. I'm ridiculously random. Hey, hey shout out to Big Ray on the ridiculously random podcast on the on the PW Hustle Network's pot on Podbean.com. Shameless plug. I can always do that too. JB, give out your socials. Give out the film frequency. Give out the cage theory. What's going on with the with the the world of MMA? So we got a lot coming up. We got film frequency. We're finishing up our Karate Kid two and Karate Kid Kid three. Are you on- gonna do the Hillary Swank one too? No, that doesn't even fucking count. Just this does. Much. Miyagi was in it. Then they- I know. Uh, people, people told us I look like, oh, Miyagi's in it. We're not interested. All right. If, if it ain't, if Daniel Russo is not in it, we're not interested. So, uh, yeah. Are you, gonna, gonna go- are you gonna Are you gonna do the uh, Netflix Co- show? Yeah, we're gonna do Cobra Kai as well. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an amazing show. If you haven't seen that, watch it. Anyhow, uh, so that's going on in Film Frequency, MMA Cage Theory. We just had an episode come out a couple days ago. And uh, we broke down. We reviewed UFC 251, which is amazing. And uh, we have a lot of other stuff coming up for Cage Theory. So check that out uh, again on Twitter uh, at Cage Theory Pod. And then, of course, I can reach on Twitter at T-H-E-P-1-J-B. That's at the P-1-J-B. And, uh, Professor, this was absolutely fun, man. I really, really am loving these board st- these boardroom-style shows. Me too. And I think, the, I think the listeners... Like it, it breaks up a little bit of a monotony where we're just doing event after event after event. So it's nice for this little run here of boardroom. It's great to have that debate in the. That's what the boardrooms are for. You know, the locker rooms are too sweaty, but the boardrooms is so you know so refined. The boardroom is where the men are. The locker room is where all the sweaty animals are. Yes. How much shit am I gonna get for that statement? Well, you know, I, I don't care. I, I, I'll co-sign with you. Yes, there's sweaty men over there, you know, with their jock straps flailing in the wind. The boardroom is refined with liquor, with great food, with caviar, with lobsters, with hookers. shrimp cocktails, and hookers. Locker rooms don't have hookers. Locker rooms, no, nah, I'm not going to, because uh, I'll say something. And, uh, that's another uh, podcast. Yeah, that's another. That, uh, that's a conspiracy horseman I was going about to say. But anyway. Now you're going along like you're going down the 8-track brown way. Yes. Anyway, for TW, you know, follow his Twitter at TommyWonder19, where he loves his uh, Michigan governor. I forget her name, but uh, he's going to vote for her again. If you want to co-sign on, on, the, on the governorship of, of that woman on Michigan, give TW a retweet. But anyway, it's TommyWonder19. And, of course, follow the reflection at PWReflection. And, of course, follow the executive producer, Big Ray, at Big Ray Show. Follow me on my Twitter at P-R-O-F-P-W-Hustle, a.k.a. Professor P-W-Hustle. And, of course, follow my brothers in arms from the P-W-Hustle, Mr. Edwin and Fringe himself, Billy Ray Valentine, at Obi-Wan You Know Me. And, of course, A-Track Brown, the 30th of the city, at A-Track Dastardly. I don't know what we're going to do next week, uh, boys and girls, but you know what? We're going to slide into each other's DMs, and we're going to surprise you because we want to leave you surprised. To end the boardroom styles here on the PWR podcast. I'm the professor. That's the prodigal one. Mr. Essential himself, JB. Give out that birthday TW war cry like you did last week to end this one. I hold on. Mm-hmm. I don't have a real war cry, but here's what I do have. And it's a closing statement. And here's my closing statement. Mm-hmm. To the melts case closed. See you next time, Reflectionites. They passed you on the road.